most of us, I think, are pretty familiar with the image of three men who came bobbling along on top of their camels from the east. Matthew doesn't say there are three. Matthew doesn't mention camels. But um, I'm just going to let that go because however many there were, they were. And um, it's pretty sure that men of this stature didn't walk all the way from wherever to Bethlehem on their own two feet, or six feet, as it might happen, because they were magi. They were not likely kings. They may or may not have been wise. But the title magi, given by Matthew, suggests that they were, in some ways, quite extraordinary. Magi is a Greek word, and it's derived from the Persian word magus, not maggots, but magus. Um, I don't know, I was thinking about that word last night and suddenly got confused. That's kind of bad, but anyway, magus, not maggots. Um, and that's a term that in, um, in the Persian world usually referred to a class of men who were astrologers, philosophers, and sorcerers. Sounds like fun. And these men were held in pretty great esteem for the work that they did. They were respected and rewarded in a manner that's difficult for us with our modern sensibilities of what work we value to even imagine being the case. I don't know about you, but I don't know a sorcerer anywhere who's well paid. Um, so these men were members of the priestly class, probably, in the Zoroastrian religion, which was the religion of the Persian Empire. And they're thought to have appeared, begun their work, sometime around the 6th century BC, um, which would place them about 100 years after the prophet Isaiah, who we heard from and you'll hear more about in a little while. Um, so given that hint, we can guess that Matthew's phrase, from the east, indicates that they had traveled from someplace that was or had once been a part of the Persian Empire. When the Magi first appeared on the world stage, the Persian Empire stretched from the um, western edge of Egypt on the west over to India, the, the western border of India on the east. I had my, my mapologist help me figure out these dates and pictures. Um, but anyway, for a time, the Persian Empire actually included the lands of Israel and Judah. So theoretically, it's possible that these guys didn't really have to travel very far at all. They could have been remnants of the Zoroastrian population, you know, just east of the foothills or something. Um, and I guess it's just an accident of power and boundary wars that says um, Jesus could well have been born a Jewish subject of the Persian empires. Think of that, you historians. Um, that would change a few stories. Um, as it was, though, by the time of Jesus' birth, the Roman Empire had pushed the Persians much further east 
making Jesus a subject of Rome. Um, and as is sort of still the case, empires and nations and city-states and religions and peoples of this vast region were in a constant shift and shuffle of conquests and defeats and restorations, so much so that I wonder if even Matthew had any really specific idea of what he meant by from the East. Nevertheless, these men, this is what's important, these men were outsiders to the story of Israel, to the story of Jesus' people. And they were thought to be the first non-Jews to see Jesus. Magi were dreamers of dreams. They were stargazers. They carried some insight or intuition that lies beyond everyday knowing and understanding and wisdom. They had apparently read the old Hebrew prophets like Isaiah and like Micah, and they scanned the skies for a sign, for a star, and they found a baby. For them, the light of that star, however bright it may have been, became, we might hope, a minor light when compared to the radiance of the child they found in Bethlehem. They came seeking the future king of a neighboring land. I wonder, did they know that they were about to encounter the divine in a very humble place? Matthew tells us they were overjoyed to find this baby, that they bowed down and they worshipped him. The Magi experienced a profound moment, one which changed the course of their lives, and one which perhaps they shared in a manner that, that changed the course of many countless lives. Theirs is a story of this God we know, being God of the stranger, as surely as God of the chosen people. That was something new, and it was good. But could these men have known what tragedy they set in motion through their visit with Herod? Did they understand the extent to which that king would feel threatened by the very possibility of a newborn king? Neither of his own lineage, he pretty sure knew that, nor sanctioned by the higher Roman authorities. If they were going to change kings, certainly they would have told Herod. Matthew tells us that the Magi were warned in a dream to return home by another route, to set aside Herod's request that they should return and tell him exactly where he might find this infant king, because Herod's intent was not worship, it was murder. I'm going to push beyond the boundaries of today's gospel story here, so bear with me a moment, because I, I think this is important. The Magi couldn't have known this, but simply by taking the courtesy of speaking to the local king, 
which would have been a pretty common courtesy in those days, the Magi had opened a door that could not be shut. For his own sense of well-being, maybe even for the security of the empire, Herod saw a need to guarantee that the throne would not be taken by a child born captive, a child of the underclass. And unable to locate that specific child, Jesus, Herod would order the slaying of every small boy in his territory. In yet another dream, Joseph is warned to take Mary and her child away to the land of Egypt. They became migrants for their own safety, and there Jesus would survive childhood and continue as God's instrument of change and love in the world. I would like to go, huh, right about now. I don't know about you, but right about this point in the story, I find it at least as painful as it is inspiring. In my head, this story comes awfully close to making God look maybe a bit careless. Couldn't the Magi have received that warning dream before they went to Herod in the first place? I wonder, had the dream angel taken the day off? I don't believe for a moment that God creates tragedy as a way of proving God's ultimate love for the world. On the other hand, fear, we're told that Herod was frightened, and confusion, and the tangling and breaking of well-laid expectations and systems often gives rise to chaos, sometimes to violence, a desperate and misguided and hopeless effort to set things back right on our own. Tragic things happen because we are human, because we act out of our fears or out of our untamed enthusiasm. We suffer moments of distraction from our better selves, we are sometimes frustratingly tangled in the darker sheets of our own nature. Tragedies happen simply because we are broken people living in a broken world, and we stumble over the fragments of that brokenness. That's nothing new, and it's nothing that will leave us anytime soon. But I know and I hope you know, that there is healing for what Matthew's story breaks in me. These words from the prophet Isaiah, Arise, shine, for your light has come. Darkness shall cover the earth, but the Lord will arise upon you. Lift up your eyes and look. The nations will come to you, they all gather, you shall see and be radiant. Your heart will thrill and rejoice. Matthew's 
is a story of those places where darkness and uncertainty of our world clump up and trip us over God's astonishing radiance. But Isaiah's is the story of how God's radiance lights us from the inside. And somehow that seems to work better. I'm going to hold up something that I know you can't see, but just to let you know it's here if you want to see it later. Um, in 1991, the artist John August Swanson painted this picture um, called The Festival of Lights. And in it, for me at least, Mr. Swanson has painted Isaiah's story. He has painted the antidote to Matthew's tragedy because here is light. Here, God's people, all people, stream across the gentle hills. They begin at a point that we cannot see from far beyond the horizon, and they proceed right to where we are standing or sitting. And we know that they will continue. They're behind us. They're before us. And we are swept up. The light from their small candles seeps into their faces. And it shines out from their faces. Our faces. The light of God. And we are radiant. This is how God moves. This is how God moves us. This is epiphany. According to the Cambridge Dictionary Online, isn't this exciting? Um, epiphany is a moment when you suddenly feel that you understand or you suddenly become conscious of something that is very important to you. Good definition. I like this next one better, though. Dictionary.com offers this. Epiphany is a sudden intuitive perception of insight or insight into the reality or essential meaning of something, usually initiated by some simple, homely, or commonplace occurrence or experience. I really love that part. Initiated by something simple, homely, commonplace. Always, there are stars in the sky. Always, there is God. Always, there is us, needing the healing God and God's light can provide. Simple, Homely, commonplace, epiphany. If we give a careful reading to our passage from Isaiah, from the letter to the Ephesians, from today's psalm, if we keep reading the story of the Magi, tragic as it is, but through Isaiah's hope, then we will know how epiphany happens, how God works of our stumbling and our short-sightedness. God reveals wondrous things, fills our minds with awesome possibilities and our hearts with joy. 
God works by including outsiders, by setting captives free, by healing what is broken, flooding the skies with light so that the eyes of our hearts might be opened. God gathers. God sparks radiance right here within us. God draws masses of people into one stream of near magical joy. God unites all things far and near into unspeakable visions, embellished by starlight and embroidered with the very essence of love. If you ever wonder or worry about how God works, you can relax now. God works through love that overcomes brokenness. Always, always through love. Amen.